Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Yes, Dan Riccio and uh, Satyar Shah with you as the Canucks win again. And uh, I am back after uh, yesterday sitting on the uh, Sport BC Athletes of the Year Committee. It, uh, it was nice to go home and just watch the Canucks right, uh, get right back into action and the lotto line dominate yet another team, Sat. I mean, would we expect anything different at this time? No. I mean, it's just it's, – it's just it's, I wouldn't say it's surprising because this is what they've done now for 42 games, but the lotto line, four games together, uh, the most – probably dominant four-game stretch we've seen in recent history Yeah, from three players with the Canucks. It's pretty wild. Like, uh, those three guys, they've now played uh, 58 minutes together this season. In those 58 minutes, at they have 10 goals for at five on five. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. I think that's decent. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's like less than a full game. And yeah, they've got 10 absurd. goals in that game. It's like they played the San Jose Sharks every single time. <laughs> Yeah, and and they're not playing the Sharks. I mean, that that's the you know mind bending thing. They're they're playing some pretty good hockey teams, and yeah, the the Penguins are not in a playoff position, but they've been one of the better teams recently in the Eastern Conference, and they're not that far from being a playoff team. Devils, you can say, say some similar things about, but had both those teams been in the West, they'd be sitting in a wild card spot, right? So it kind of shows you that they're not teams that are that bad, so to speak. And the Rangers, well, they're an anointed cup contenders and the Canucks well they not have too much trouble against the Rangers either no and uh you look at Pedersen's last four games I mean uh pretty 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 good uh, three points against the Devils four points against the Rangers one goal against the Islanders and then four points yesterday against the Penguins and he has scored the winning goal in each of those games remember when we talked so much early this season about fatigue and oh the Canucks have a really heavy schedule lately and so uh, we should excuse some of their performances well they just played four games in six nights against four pretty good hockey teams and they won all four of them and were the better team in all four of them so I, I you know I'd say that's that's pretty good, and it shows a team that's evolving, that's developing, that's learning how to play when the uh, cards are stacked against them a little bit. You know, there's just nothing but a lot of positives to say about where this team is at and what it should mean for them as they plan the next steps, i.e., where they go ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah, and you know, we're hearing more from the principals that make those decisions. You know, yeah. Jim Rutherford, obviously, anytime he he hits out, or the Canucks play the East, you get the Eastern reporters and the national guys talking to him. And Patrick Alvine spoke with Ian McIntyre, and I think they they made it pretty clear what their priority is in terms of Elias Patterson and also what they would like to add to the team. Yeah, so on the Patterson front, uh, IMAC did a piece with uh, with Patterson. Well, not uh, with Patterson, but spoke to Patrick Alvin, and uh, you know he mentioned it even yesterday on the broadcast. How he spoke to Patterson during the road trip, uh, asked him if he would comment on on the contract negotiations, and Patterson politely declined. But you know, it for as much as as we continue to talk about this situation, it really does feel status quo um if anything sort of the rhetoric and the discussion of how badly the Canucks want to get this done that's maybe picked up more more than anything while 
Pedersen's camp seems to have maintained the the same sort of posture this entire process. Yeah, and I think the Canucks are making it very clear uh, to Pedersen, and also just making them. I'm sure they've made it clear uh, in person, but also publicly about uh, how they really want to get this done. And it's kind of like nudge, nudge, hint, hint. You yeah. know, like the sooner we can get this done, the better, because it gives us a clearer picture about where we want to go with doing certain things. But at the same time, it's one of those things that. They make it pretty clear. We still have another year, you know, with control with them. It's not as pressing that you have to get this sorted out by the trade deadline or anything. But you know how these guys like to work ahead. You know how how these guys like to get their work done and really be on top of things. And not to say they're getting antsy because I don't think they're there. But I do believe that they're doing everything within their power without pressuring Pedersen, like actually pressuring him yeah. to make it very clear that, hey, like we're ready to go here. So you just tell us whatever the term is, whatever it is you're looking to do. Let's sit down and let's let's figure this out. We're just waiting for you to give us that go ahead because we're, we're we are ready to play ball right now. Yeah. When we spoke to um, Jim Rutherford, you know, it, it doesn't preclude you from doing any other business, you know, not having Pedersen done. But can make things easier to plan if you do have Patterson done and you know exactly where the number is going to be. You know, sure, um, 250K or 100K, whatever, like, maybe you just ballpark it at $12 million a season and, and you work with that as uh, the, the number you need to work around for next year, and you can, but... You know, even even little dollars uh, do uh, matter, especially when you're a team that's working up so much against the cap like the Vancouver Canucks are. So that's why, you know, even just just wanting that number down and knowing exactly what it's going to be rather than just an estimate can be helpful for the Vancouver Canucks moving forward. It's having more clarity, you know, and I think a lot of it would be mostly tied to getting business done with their own players. And I don't know about Hronik if there's a big difference, but, but I think it could be maybe more instructive for somebody a bit lower down in the lineup. Let's say, for instance, that you want to get Pedersen done and you're ready to pay Pedersen essentially whatever it takes to get it done. But obviously you'd like to get it done slightly cheaper if you could, if you get the guy to play a little bit of ball. Let's say you get Pedersen to take a million less or 750K less. Does that make it a bit easier for them to re-sign, say, a Lafferty potentially? Right. I think that's kind of where it would be. Cause, I mean, you can't really go and extend yourself on guys like that. Not that you would anyways, but you can't go and make that type of commitment until you know where your big dogs are going to go down, right? And I don't think Hironic is going to be tied to it too much because they view him as a higher-end player. So it simply comes down to, is he going to be in a range that makes sense or is he going to be in a way too high of a range in terms of trying to get a contract done? And perhaps that's what... It might be something they're 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 hinting towards in terms of you know saying there are other guys we we like to get done or other business you'd like to do. I don't think it's so much about trades. I think it's more about if we can get Pedersen signed to a, to a contract that that maybe is slightly cheaper than we had hoped, or you know as cheap as we'd hoped, or slightly cheaper. Then maybe we have a little bit of room to go and keep one of the UFAs up front that have had a really good season, whether that's Joshua Bluger or Lafferty, yeah. etc. Well, they they have made so many short term bets, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, all those guys are that are UFA. Do you want to keep some of them? Uh, are they playing so well that you won't be able to keep them? Uh, you know, those are are questions. That yeah, you, you just you'd like to know, you know, can we afford to pay Sam Lafferty uh, a million and a half next year, or right. something something to that effect, or are we going to have to find another guy that's closer to a million dollars to fill that role uh, for for next season? I, I think you're you're bang on about about that assessment, and you know it's it's as we talked about it earlier this week, it kind of gets to a point where 
you're still wondering, like, is this where Patterson wants to be? I know he hasn't instructed anything really otherwise, but as long as this question persists, that question is going to linger, right? So it, it, it really becomes this game of everybody trying to figure it out, trying to speculate, and really the only person that knows is Elias Patterson. What will be interesting, it feels like, uh, they are gearing up to maybe have the conversation uh, when you get to the bye week or in and around the All-Star break. And mm-hmm. if nothing really really settles down there, then then you're putting it off until the summer and you'll deal with it then. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think you're right on that assessment. I mean, anytime I ask, and I've recently spoke to, to people trying to figure out what's kind of – just kind of lay of the land, how are you guys feeling? You keep hearing – very confident they feel good about how things are pro- progressing and even though there hasn't been a, a formal commitment they don't worry too much of that th- not going to come but you're right every day it doesn't happen it makes you kind of wonder and the natural date usually is around the all-star break um and the thing i believe is if something happens we're not going to hear much about it yeah I, I i don't think Patterson has any interest in making this a public thing and he essentially said to imac he doesn't want to respond to every rumor because if he responds to this one he's got to respond to all of them and, and it makes sense right it's like hey i'm not going to dignify these things with a response and if you start getting into like reports of conversation uh they met yesterday there's an offer on the table it's down to Patterson to decide and every day it's going to be like what do you think about the offer when are you going to decide do you feel pretty good and i don't think he has any interest in going through that and going through that process of questioning every day. So I believe that they would love to get to a point where it's very quiet and the bye week makes sense because not a lot of, not as much coverage around the team. And if they can keep it uh, from the insiders finding out, then maybe that's the time where you can do some work quietly for a week or so and really hammer this away. Because I'm not sure you're going to be able to keep it under wraps when you're playing games every other day, other day and there's so much buzz going on around the team. Yeah, and uh, generally when it comes to, to big contracts, uh, you figure out what the total money is going to look like and the term, and then you know the 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 stuff that maybe takes some time to hammer down is uh, you know the bonus structure and and those types of particulars uh, in in the big contracts, like we saw with uh, William Nylander. It seemed like everybody seemed to know where the number was going to end up. It was just you know working through how the structure of the contract was going to work out that uh, that took some time uh, before it eventually did get announced. Uh, this text, so if Pedersen gets 12 per, how are they going to have the money in three years for Hughes and Demko? Well, the uh, answer is the Canucks actually don't have a ton of money tied up in the future um, for when Hughes becomes uh, a free agent at the end of the 26-27 season. So you're not really worried about having the money to do that then. And also the salary cap by that time is projecting to be probably closer to $100 million, at least at the upper limit by that point. Yeah. And I mean, the way his season is going right now, and you see the numbers that he's putting up, like what's that number going to be? You know, you see the Nylander number and you've seen the other numbers that come out there. And I know it depends on, on term or whatever, but I mean, the more he keeps piling up points and the more he does things like four straight games on the road where he had the game-winning goal, something that's never happened before. Uh, players have scored four game-winning goals in a row before. The record is five, which happened like in in, in the original six era back in 1929-23. Um, so that's it's, it's been, well, 100 years since somebody yeah. had a five-game game-winning goal streak. So perhaps he, he does that against the Sabres coming up here on the weekend. But 
Like the more he puts up these types of lopsided numbers, he does things nobody's ever done before. Like I mean, that number could be a lot higher than maybe we imagine. Because I mean, even just like two weeks ago, and he was you know kind of like scuffling by his standards. The numbers didn't look quite as gaudy. Now they kind of look eye-watering. He's on pace for back-to-back 100-point seasons. Playing center, uh, good two-way player. You know, arguably, uh, even the most pessimistic on Elias Pettersson would still say he's a top 10 center in the league right now, especially when he's playing like he is right now. So, you know, $12 million seems like the going rate now that everybody knows the cap is going up finally. Mm-hmm. And you see William Nylander get $11.5 million per year. I mean, between an 11.5 and $12 million, Seems like uh, almost a guarantee. Even if he doesn't get uh, a full eight-year term, I still think the number is going to be in that range for Elias Patterson. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to have to be even on like a three-year deal, yeah. right? Or even a four-year deal, the number is going to be above that, right? And I think that's ultimately um, where you where it's going to have like you have to earmark money. If you look at what are the Canucks earmarking, they have to be earmarking at least eleven to twelve. You yeah. can't be looking at it and saying, we're hoping to get him signed for 10 to 11. I think that ship has sailed. If that ship was ever even at the dock to begin with. Doesn't feel like it. It doesn't right. feel like it ever really was, uh, no. <laughs> from my perspective. No. That's kind of, I mean, and, and, and there's somebody in, asked in the mailbag, and maybe we'll hit, hit this. The last time he signed a contract, different regime. Maybe that was a time to go a bit longer term or whatever it was. But, I mean, it's, it's a lot of crying over spilled milk or whatever. But, you know, if you're looking at 10, 11 million, it's just something that you can't really think about. So uh, twelve million average annual value on uh, an eighty-seven and a half million upper limit of the salary cap would be thirteen point seven percent of the cap, which would put Pedersen in uh, you know a range of the elite players in the league of what you sign for when you're an elite player in the league and the percentage of the cap that it's going to be when that player needs a new contract. So it it, it falls in line, you know, and and that's just sort of where the the numbers are headed for. Elias Pettersson. It'll. Uh, it seems like it's going to work itself out. And uh, for as much as Pettersson said he wants to play as a winner, and an IMAX article when he when he asked Patrick Alvine if he thinks Elias Pettersson wants to be a Canuck, what did Alvine say? I think he wants to play for a winner. And right now the Canucks are a winner. Uh, we'll see uh, how much that continues as uh, the season goes on. Uh, I did want to make one final point on Pettersson before we get to Rutherford's comments. Um, with Pierre Lebrun at The Athletic about what the Canucks are looking for ahead of the deadline. But since we're on the topic of Elias Patterson, the lotto line has seemingly unlocked Patterson's best games this year, as we've seen with his recent numbers, and as I pointed out earlier in the segment. But the more I've watched it, and the more you look at Pedersen's numbers in general away from Andre Kuzmenko, it just feels like getting Pedersen away from Andre Kuzmenko is where he's going to do his best work. As if, you know, because of Kuzmenko struggling and sort of uh, lacking confidence and his season not going the way that his first season did, for me it's fair to say Andre Kuzmenko has held Pedersen back at points this season. And the numbers really bear it out. Sure. Uh, okay, playing with the lotto line has helped these numbers in the last uh couple of games here sat, you know, pointing out that they scored 10 goals <laughs> 5 on 5 already this year when they've played together Pedersen Brock and JT Miller, but at 5 on 5, the Canucks with Pedersen on the ice without Andre Kuzmenko plus 13 
And then when he's playing with Andre Kuzmenko, it's just plus two. And that's, um, you know, in over 300 minutes without Andre Kuzmenko and over 200 minutes when he's played with Andre Kuzmenko. So, you know, getting Elias Pettersson, you know, I, maybe maybe some of his slumping was uh, in part due to him being saddled with a player that's underperforming right now. I mean, I don't think Kuzmenko's played at the level. I mean, and we've gone through this. It's not just about the shooting percentage not being there. He's simply not doing enough of the things he did well last year, right? And so I think there's a lot of stuff in his game that's not quite there. I, I get what you're saying. I don't disagree. I think, you know, the more talent you have around Pedersen, the better. It, it's obvious. You can, I mean, and last year when Kuzmenko was going with him, they were absolutely just, you know, crushing teams. It shows you the talent matters to a large degree. But are we sure Pedersen wasn't struggling either for a while? Like, I mean, he was like bobbling pucks and stuff. Remember, like he was—he right. wasn't quite at the level he was, you know, a couple of years ago when he got off to that really horrible start and he was like Bambi on skates, constantly falling over and and tripping over the blue line on his own. Like, it was really bad. Remember, and you know, everybody wondered, like, did, did somebody steal his talent? I mean, yes. what did he what did he have at, at the halfway point, like twenty points or something? It was, yeah, he, like, went he was full below space half. Jam. Of, yeah, it was like it was ridiculous. Like he he had a real tough start, a real tough go of it, right? Like he didn't quite look that bad, but he looked kind of lost. And I don't know if we can pin all of that on his on Kuzmenko. I do think Kuzmenko's erratic play made that line. Um, in, in, and, and not just for Pedersen, I think Mikheyev as well. I think what happened was there was too much confusion because Kuzmenko would, wouldn't do what he was supposed to do, and and Pedersen kind of alluded to that. Not about Kuzmenko specifically. But when you mentioned having other line mates that knew what they were doing and went to spaces that he could expect them to go to and track back really well and how much easier it was to play with guys like that. So I do think it matters. But I also believe like there was something with Pedersen's game a few weeks back that has changed. Like I think it goes beyond just, you know, hey, he got away from Andre Kuzmenko. All right. We'll, we'll leave we'll leave that there. We'll agree to disagree in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree to some extent. Like, I agree. You know what I mean? Like, I, I agree. And, yeah. and I do think, you know, playing, obviously playing with, with, with these guys is better. But I mean, like, some of the stuff Pedersen is doing, like, for instance, the move he makes, um, to buy himself time to find Besser yesterday, right? I mean, it's, it's just like the confident play that he makes. He still yeah. holds up for a second. He, he sees the play develop. He buys enough time for Besser to be able to get back door. Then he feeds a perfect pass across to him. And then the pass he made to Besser a couple games back, uh, late in the second period, where he kind of does the same thing, kind of stops, hesitates, pulls the puck back, drags the, uh, the defenders towards him, then slides the puck through to Besser. Like, he just wasn't making plays like that you know, a, a couple weeks back. He wasn't. And he is a player playing with confidence and is in the zone right now. But uh, I think uh, it, it probably doesn't happen if he's still stuck with uh, Andre Kuzmenko. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll phrase it that way. Um, as far as what the Canucks do at the deadline, Jim Rutherford talking to Pierre Lebrun, essentially saying they want a top six forward. They'll continue to look at defense. But they do want a top six forward, and this falls in line with, I mean, what what's been pretty obvious watching the team. They they could use another impact player up front. Yeah, well, especially when Kuzmenko's not going. Yeah, you know, and and it's like, and I do think that line with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko they've been a bit better, um, and Suter. They've had some moments, and Kuzmenko's looked like he's somewhat close a couple of times. But his game is clearly not at the level that it needs to be. And, you know, for, you know, when we have these discussions too about, hey, that there are ways the Canucks can still improve and they should be looking at adding top six forwards and people text in. It's like, what is it with you media guys always trying to talk about trades and, and talk about improving this roster? And it's like, 
Because number one, you could always improve your team. And number two, the organization is clearly invested in making this team better. And now it came from the horse's mouth himself. I mean, we've had the reports. I've heard things. Others have heard things. We mentioned how they love to add some more scoring and some more offense up front. Last time we had Rutherford on, he was reluctant to really talk about how they wanted a top six guy. He said, hey, we're always open to make the team better. Well, he told LeBron specifically what we're looking to add as a top six forward. And, you know, I, I think now that you've reunited the, lo the lotto line and it's having so much success, you're loving that. But a game like last night's is a bit of a cautionary tale where you know, those guys are getting all the offense. And what happens when they're not scoring three or four goals a game, <laughs> right? Uh, are you going to be in trouble? Are you getting enough from the rest of the lineup when those guys are concentrated onto one line at five on five? That would be my worry moving forward and certainly my worry if you get into the playoffs with this sort of setup still and you haven't added a piece or Andre Kuzmenko mm -hmm. doesn't come out of – of his success or of his, uh, you know, sophomore season slump. That's it, everything I view now is, is sort of with a, with an eye towards the playoffs. And, and I'm just not sure. Like, I think you're easier to defend against when you go into a playoff series, when you have the lotto line stacked together and not much. That's all that dangerous beyond that. Yeah. And I mean, you need to have another line that can provide a push and right now, we know the Garland Bluger uh, line can do that, but are they at a level where you can lean on them to provide consistent second line production and ice time? Because you're talking about tougher minutes. And, and yeah. so far, what the coach has done is not asking them to be more than what they've been so far. Like, he's all, he, like, not saying all they've done because they've done a terrific job, but essentially what they've done is split the duties of the second line between the Suter line and the Bluger line. Yeah, and and it hasn't been this you know as much as the Blue Girl line I think had about a minute more as a trio last night in ice time, but it's only a minute more in ice time. So essentially one more shift for that line, five on five compared to, um, you know the 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 Suter, Mikheyev and Kuzmenko line. So I don't think they feel like they have a second line they can truly lean on quite yet. And as good as that Blue Girl line has been, like they're a terrific third line, and I think that's where you want them to still be. And if you can add somebody else as a play driver, either to really go with uh, Suter or Mikheyev, or perhaps where you can feel confident splitting up the lotto line again, if you get to a point where you have two lines really going, and then you have the Bluger line as your third line, and then you have the fourth line doing their thing, like then you're really talking about having four lines. And not that you're unstoppable, but you're going to be an absolute menace to play against in the postseason. Yeah, and I think that's uh, really what you're looking at. <laughs> How do you improve this team and uh, make them even more of a contender than what they've shown to be through 42 games this season? We'll have a ton more questions on this coming up in the mailbag a little bit later on. If you're listening on podcasts, the mailbag will be a separate episode as far as how today's shows are going to show up on your podcast feed, whether it be with... Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you are listening. We always appreciate you. Subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. All right. One last thing we got to do before we get to Yannick Hansen and more. Giveaway season? It's giveaway season. Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada is taking place January 17th to the 20th in Victoria. 32 Thoughts will be recording a live show at Wicked Hall in downtown Victoria on Thursday, January 18th. The show starts at 2 o'clock, and guests expected to join Jeff and Elliot include Kevin Bieksa and Brian Burke and other NHL alumni, plus the Stanley Cup. The only way to attend is to win your way in, and we're giving away tickets away all week. This is your final chance 
as we've been giving them away all week. And here's how you do it. We were talking about top six forwards. We'll go easy on Josh today. Caller number six, 604-280-0651-888-275-0650. You want to go to Victoria and watch a live 32 Thoughts podcast and you're free Thursday, January 18th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to do it. Well, now is your chance. Caller number six, 604-280-0651-888-275-0650. More to come on Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is Canuck Central, hour number two of the program. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's bring in our next guest. He is our weekly Friday analyst, and he's brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group. Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? Yeah, I'm cold. How are you? <laughs> this, uh, this makes you feel like home, doesn't it, uh, all this cold? I don't know about that. I, like, I mean, I did spend a couple of years in Winnipeg, but but Denmark <laughs> is not this cold, no. So uh, this is uh, this is not what I anticipated when I decided for for a place for retirement. Yeah, Denmark's not quite as north as uh, Sweden, Finland, and Norway. And, all right, you guys uh, don't have to like, about... pick at my lack of geographical no, no. knowledge here. Jeez. Oh, no, all, all I'm saying <laughs> is it's kind of funny because Denmark's close to uh, Sweden, right? I mean, it's like it's, it's they have a bridge now. You can drive across the bridge and get there. But I remember when I was a kid living in Sweden, I remember people talking about how they wanted to go to Denmark in the winter because it wasn't as cold. Yeah, we we're we're way further south. Well, obviously Sweden is a is a long country, but yeah, our weather is, is very similar to uh, to Vancouver here. A lot of dark, rainy, gray days. A lot of lot of snow, and uh, minus ten is uh, definitely an anomaly there as well. <laughs> All right, well we'll uh, we'll get into the hockey talk, so I don't make a, a you know what out of myself anymore on this show. Uh, Let's talk geography. Yeah, Let's talk well I'll probably geography. do that in other ways, anyways. Uh, but. <laughs> Man, Yannick, I, I mean, we're kind of running out of like things to say about this team. They just keep uh, they keep winning hockey games. They've won four and six nights while on uh, on an East Coast road trip here, and it all really falls on the back of reuniting the Lotto line. What are you seeing with this Canucks team right now? Are they finding another level? Yeah, that line is making a mockery of the league right now. Uh, to be honest, the last time I saw that, I had a first row seat to that <laughs> on the bench back in ten yeah. eleven. Uh, that that's that's the only thing I can think of. Like that they're so dominant, um, impossible to contain, uh, scoring almost at will winning games, um, and not easy games either. They're, they're tough games, uh, against good teams on the road, uh, back to back, uh, tough buildings. Uh, you, you're going to like, we tipped our hats to, to this team now <laughs> a couple times during the season because we didn't anticipate this, but, but they keep, uh, yeah, they keep surprising us. Um, you keep waiting for them to, okay, when do they revert back to uh, this middle-tier average team uh, fighting for, for a bubble? But they just keep uh, 
define those, uh, I don't want to call them expectations, but that's where we in this season started. And, and like they, they, they almost seem legit now. They seem like they're, uh, they're one of the teams to beat now in, in the West, the way they're, they're running right now. And it doesn't matter if it's Demko and Nate or, or the Smith. Uh, it doesn't matter if, uh, if you're struggling a little bit on one line, you shift them around and then, and then they're firing on all cylinders again. They got, defensemen that are playing at the top of the game. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's good to see. It really is. And we haven't seen a team, you're right, be this dominant since the 2011-2012 season. And, you know, one of the things that blows my mind about what this team is doing so far, and it's a long way to go still, right? 40 games to go. We'll see ultimately how it goes. But point-wise, sure. I mean, similar pace or whatever. But this team is on pace, Yannick, to score 320-some goals. The the 2011 team, which was one of the best teams in recent memory, of course, scored 264 goals. I know the game has changed, but what is it about this team and, and how they're able to score at will, it seems like? Because there's something like we haven't really seen a Canucks team do in a very, very long time. No, you, you got uh, you got a lot of a lot of talented guys, and um, they have they have more skill in the bottom six than we had. Obviously, like you said, the game has changed, mm-hmm. um, so you don't have the shutdown roles anymore. Um, it, it's the guys that are playing throughout the lineup now, they, they are used to, to putting up big numbers wherever they've played, everywhere they've played. Um, so, so it is a little bit shifted. But this team has scored a lot of goals over the last couple of years, even when they were bad, when they weren't doing things well. The scoring goals were never their issues. What they corrected this year is they, they found a way to keep the puck out of the net. They found a way to, to play a committed style of game, a, a game that wins and able to win small, tight games as well. Um, but we're still seeing them filling the net on a, on a nightly basis. And it's not a, uh, an off occurrence when they score four, five, or six goals because it happened because there are so much skill in that lineup. Uh, the power play is lethal um, at, at times. And when you have a, especially teams that can do that, it's gonna, you're going to rack up goals uh, a lot easier because, again, especially teams, it, it's an easy way to, to get your offense clicking. Uh, your best guys on the ice in an advantage position. And, and again, they're, they're finding the back of the net. You know, it's, uh, it, it feels like uh, in the league right now, uh, there's so many teams that um, don't play the right way. And we saw it in Vancouver for so long, and maybe that's why it's, it's so pronounced and the difference we've seen. But an example would be, you know, the Crosby goal last night where Hronik makes the pinch and then there's an odd man rush going back the other way. I mean, that was like, you know, it happened two, three times a night in the past against this team. And you could almost count on at least one goal against every single night with that sort of happenstance. But I, I watch around the league and, you know, the Buffaloes, the Ottawas, especially the younger teams, they're the ones that struggle the most with this this type of thing, Yannick. It really takes a, a maturity to, to really stamp those kinds of things out of your game. Yeah, because you got to put your – I wouldn't I – don't, I don't want to call it ego, but you got to put your own um, desires and wants ahead um, or behind, if you will, because – what happens when you do this? You're cheating a little bit. We're mentioning Hironic. I don't want to pick on him. He's been a phenomenal player. Yeah, it was, it was just one you, play you last pinch, night, right? I know, but just to take that, we don't have to mention any names here. What you're doing there is you're hoping you keep the puck in. You're hoping it'll turn into a, a scoring chance. You're hoping that you stay there. You're going to lead it on. You're going to lead it to a shot on net. Most times it won't, and it'll go back the other way. Young teams are okay with trading chances. I, I'm okay 
you're saying when I say I, I'm not okay with it, but you're okay with okay if I get two chances, um, I'm okay with giving up two chances because it 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 increases my chances um, to score a goal, to make a play, have a have a helper, and then then again that that's selfish, is personal. And that's what happened to a lot of young teams is we're okay with this because we want to be producing. We, we want to showcase ourselves. We, we want to be in the stat sheet. Um, but again, it's not the right way to win. It's not the way to, to, to win hockey games. It won't get you anywhere. Um, and the sooner you figure this out as a group, um, the better you are for it. And again, we've seen this in Vancouver for, for many years um, where we were okay with trading chances. We were okay with giving up two-on-ones as long as we got one too because we, you always feel, okay, well, I'm going to get a goal now. And it's exciting. Uh, goal scored in both ends, um, but, but it doesn't lead to a lot of winning. Um, so again, they, they find a way to check that. And again, uh, not to the extent where they've given up offense because like we mentioned earlier, they're, they're still producing in bunches. Um, they're just doing it the right way now. Uh, obviously, they're a better team too, and all these things. But, but again, it is uh, it is positive to see. That's for sure. Well, you mentioned that they're scoring in the right way, and of course, I mean the shooting percentage people talk about, and of course, it, it, it's very high and all that. But their goals don't seem fluky. They're coming off their staples, winning battles with good puck support, driving towards the net, and now they're doing it with a bit more skill. Before it was okay, they're going to the net, getting some bounces going their way. But it's almost like an evolution is happening with this team offensively right now. Yeah, it, it, we again. I go back to what we've been talking about with you guys the last couple of years. That they what comes first? Uh, how, how do we correct this? Uh, well, we need to win some, and then we start playing the right way. And all of a sudden, it just clicks, and and they're playing the right way, and they're winning. Um, but it, but it's that chicken and the egg. It kind of has to happen, and and then it kind of clicks for a lot of players. And it's like, hey, this is actually a lot more fun uh, to play this way. You're winning. It's easier. The sun is shining. All these things. Um, but again. Uh, again, not to throw Bruce or, or Greener on the on the bus in any way, but uh, Target found a way to get to these these guys. He, he found a way to help hold them accountable. Don't know what was said, um, but they're not cheating. Um, they're not they're not uh, hunting for offense when it's not there. Um, they get held accountable. And once you started doing that, uh, players will will find a way to to correct themselves. Otherwise, they won't play. And we all want to play. Um, but again, if you don't hold them accountable, you let them get away with little things, um, then it just keeps that snowball keeps rolling. Uh, and again, he's been hard on certain guys. I mean, uh, I don't know how many games ago we saw the JT Miller getting sat for a little bit. Never seen that before. Obviously, Chris Menko has been, been talked and, and dealt with. Um, but again, uh, once you start picking on these guys, the bottom of the lineup is where you really need to clean up in, in terms of not taking chances because they're not rewarding you as often as the top. Then once you clean that up, um, it, it's the, the game gets so much easier because you're, you're not giving up free opportunities, free chances. You don't need Demko to make 15 grade eight stops. Um, no, he just needs to make a, a handful and he'll make them. Um, so, so it, it makes the game so much easier for everybody when everybody knows what ex- expected. You can hold each other accountable. You don't see the coaches as often um, coming out, pressing that uh, panic button as we've seen in the past. The room will be able to start holding themselves accountable because when somebody makes a mistake that's uh, blatant that we don't want to see that, you don't need the coach coming in anymore and yelling at the whole group. No, that'll get dealt with internally by the leadership group. Um, And then you don't have all these fractures and media stuff getting blown up. Uh, Why did he say this? And and what does he mean? And and all these things. And it just gets 
doesn't get swept under the rug, but it's get dealt with internally, and and the the room will police itself then. Do you um do you do you worry about getting enough scoring beyond the the lotto line? I mean, they've been so so good, but you know, last night they, they essentially accounted for all the goals scored against against Pittsburgh. I, I guess maybe it's it's something that could be a playoff problem, right? If if you know that line gets nullified, then then what else do you have that really scares teams? Yeah, and that is that is why I saw a report again today. You're looking for a top six winger. Um, and again, then you're hoping that you can split uh, split the three, and you have two top uh, two lines that can that can score on a, on a consistent basis. You're always worried about that. Um, a lot of teams will have five, six, seven guys who are committed defensively and can do a really good job on this. Um, and if you put all your eggs in one basket, uh, it's very tough to get away from that matchup, especially on the road. Um, Checking gets tighter, um, so yeah, you will rely on on another nine guys, not nine guys, because it's, it's these as well. But again, that's where Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, Garland, uh, Bluger to some extent. That, that's where these guys become so vital. That's why when we've been talking about Kuzmenko here for the last month or so, like he, he's key to this because he is that X factor, if you will. Um, the skill set you, you you don't see that often that can that can produce and score goals that can put your team over the top in a tight checking series. So you you will need you will need more than this line, but it's good to have them in the regular season to put games away, win games, get you in that favorable position, become playoff. You you need 20 guys. There, there's no question about that. It can't be just the lotto line getting it done. Um, you you need everybody. Um, Right now, it's good. You're scraping in points. You're securing yourself and all these things, but but uh, it can't be just them. No, and one of the things that you know the organization, I mean, Jim Rutherford mentioned was that they're looking to add a top six forward if they can. If you're looking at what this team can use the best, do you would you look at it as add a center so you can keep the Pedersen together with Miller and Besser, or do you look to perhaps add a winger so you can have Pedersen back on another line? No, I want a winger. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, I, I like the Miller, PD, Bluger, uh, Suter uh, kind of setup. Um, again, I, li- I would like to have a, a fourth line right-handed center, but Lafferty can kind of fill that in a in a pinch. Um, I, I want a winger to play with PD. Um, I want a winger you can you can throw PD for the next hopefully nine years when he signs his extension at some point. Fingers crossed. Um, somebody that's his running mate. Um, somebody that he can grow with. He's 25. Um, he, he needs somebody that he knows this is this is going to be my line mate. We're going to work well together. And then that third player on that line can rotate in whoever it is: uh, Hoglander, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko, uh, uh, Phil Giuseppe. I, I don't care who the third is, but but I want I want my pairings in my top six. Um, two guys right now, obviously Miller and Besser, is running really well. Um, and then somebody who can who can swap in and out there. Um, again, salary cap reason you can't have that much can't have that much money on one line because when they're sitting on the bench, you're not getting anything worth of it, uh, kind of thing. So uh, again, uh, a legitimate top six winger is is on my wishing list. I know they don't hang on the trees, uh, and price wise and all these things um, that that would be the that would be the the thing I would shoot for. We've still got half a season to go here, so you know Kuzmenko could get going, but right now he feels like a player that would be hard yeah. to trust in a playoff scenario, Yannick, because 
he is making those defensive mistakes and every mistake gets magnified in the postseason. Yeah, that's where he's got to be the X factor for us, hopefully. Um, so you don't necessarily need to be relying on him. Like right now, you go into a playoff series, you're, you're relying on JT. You're relying on PD. You're going to be relying on, on Besser uh, as well this year. Same with, with, with Confuse and Heroic. Uh, I don't necessarily want to go in relying on Kuzmenko, but I want him going in and, and being the thing that, that pushes you over the top, the thing that um, puts a series away, wins you a game that uh, maybe you wouldn't have won. Like I, like I said, that, that X factor, that extra skill that gets a favorable matchup at some point, and, and, and then it wins your game. Um, they're great to have in the lineup. Obviously, they can't hurt you, and that's where you got to get that stuff cleaned up and get him understanding that. Um, but but that skill set uh, it's uh, it's tantalizing and and you want it obviously working out for you. As far as how the team is playing with their defense pairs, we saw Carson Susi come back now on the back end, and we know how good Hironik and Hughes have been. But what do you make of the way Susi's come back and how they're looking with their D pairs and the fact that they they're so confident in their number seven defenseman that they actually uh, gave an Ian Cole a maintenance day to get Noah Juleson into the lineup. Yeah, he was he was missed when he got hurt. There was this now eight weeks ago, almost because um, they're not as deep on D. Again, Sadorov kind of helped in that aspect. But again, Susie feels uh, he's big, he's physical, he's got a good stick, he's played in the league for a long time, he's physical, he doesn't shy from from anything, cleans up in front of the net. Um, so it's uh, it makes it that much harder to play against teams when they're six deep. Because you're always looking for holes in the defense core. Uh, where's the weak link, <laughs> if you will? And then let's try to exploit this. Um, we're on the road, line up in a face-off. Okay, now their third pairing is out. Let's get Crosby out there. Let's see what he can do. Um, these these kind of matchups doesn't happen when you're when you're six deep. Um, uh, and again, it it makes you that much harder to play again, and it's that much easier to play on the road now because you're 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 not worried about matching up. You're, you're just rolling your one through four. You're managing ice times. You're fresher towards the end of the trip, towards the end of the games. Uh, and again, he's 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 one of those players that completes your lineup. He's not going to be flashy. He's not the one that's going to get the accolades at the end of the game. But those are the type of players that will get you to where you want to go. It is uh, Yannick Hansen. I um, I did want to follow up on on the whole like defending thing uh, around the league. Uh, the league is a lot younger these days, Yannick. Guys are coming in earlier and earlier in their in their careers, maybe less developed, and also, I mean, there's a greater understanding of uh, how you're going to get paid, and that's by scoring points, scoring goals. Do, do you think that is maybe one of the reasons we're seeing scoring so up around the league, and so many teams, especially young teams, really struggle to defend as a team? Yeah, it, it's the players you bring in for sure. Uh, you're bringing in a lot more skills that have never defended really in their life. Um, and again, their first thing thing is, is offense. Um, and again, the trading chances, uh, good skills, players get their chances, they will score. Um, so, so it is the way kind of the league has, has evolved. They wanted more excitement in. Well, excitement gets you in when you get these skilled guys in that can put the puck in the net instead of... Uh, Four guys, they'll just chop the ice up and uh, Puck will stay in the neutral zone for the whole game. So it's it's kind of how they, they went with it when we, we went away from the, the checking line on the third line and, and then the physical on the on the fourth and the fighting. Um, they kind of wanted to, to bring a little bit more goal scoring in and, and all these things. And, and you're bringing in guys who 
from they were five years old till yeah now when they're entering the league 18 19 20 years old um, all they ever done is fill the back of the net um, and now all of a sudden you're you're asking these guys well hey you got to defend us well and it's going to take time to get them used to it um, get them to flip that switch to where okay I'm I'm not I'm not just going forward here. I actually have to chip it in and, and change and, and do the, the correct things. And it, it takes time. That's where the minors, uh, I like the minors for a lot of guys because it's, you can get away with these mistakes and they're all getting hung out to dry in the media when you're making mistakes in the minors versus in the NHL when it's, uh, it's costing you points. Um, then you don't see the ice. Uh, you don't develop. So it's, there's no question that the young guys are coming in. They're more skilled than ever. Um, and it's it's good in some aspects, but but again, you when you enter the league, there's only so many spots as well in top six where you're allowed to do that. So if you can't play the other side of this coin, you're you you you'll have a very short time in the league. Yannick, before we, we let you go, sorry, oh, one go I got one well, quick one here. I wanted to ask you, Yannick, on Niels Hoaglander. He's got 12 goals, right? But he still plays that fourth-line role. He's a guy that obviously hasn't really been able to move into the top six yet. What do you make of his progress, and what do you think he is ultimately as a player? And would you be afraid of moving him, or do you see him as a guy that could be expendable? Um, I don't want to move him, um, but he will. I don't think he'll ever be a top six forward. His skill set doesn't translate quite enough. Um, like, there's only, we're talking, he's a winger. There's four spots in the top six. Um, so the guys that you kind of have to squeeze out in order to get in there, he, he's the type of player you can fill in for a pinch. Five games here, a couple games here, somebody's hurt, somebody's not doing well, fill in a period here. He, he's a guy who should have a solid career on a third line, in my opinion. And then he should win his matchups. Um, he should be able to kill penalties. He should be able to uh, to change the direction of games momentum by physicality, tenacity, um, getting in on forecheck, uh, be a pass to play against um but again his his skill set is uh, ab used to use the word tweener and it was a place you didn't want to be it's in between the top six and the and the bottom six because you couldn't quite you weren't quite skilled enough to play in the top six and you weren't tough enough or good enough to play defensively so you couldn't be used in the bottom six either um that 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 thing has kind of gone away um but but he is that tweener he, he almost have the skill set to play in a top six um, but again, if you can squeeze a guy like that into the bottom six, not, now the matchup becomes that much harder. He'll see the third D pairings, um, weaker guys uh, at center and all these things. So it, you, you can take advantage of that if you find your niche there. There's no question about that. Yannick, we appreciate the time as always. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. Take care. There is uh, Yannick Hansen, our Friday analyst, always bringing uh, some some great insights. and. It's a good point on uh, on Nils Hoglander, who, uh, <laughs> as good as he's played this year, yeah, he he looks like an asset the Canucks can use to find maybe a more surefire top six asset to push for the playoffs. At, yeah, I mean, they could, and at the same time, like Yannick mentioned. He doesn't have the same value if he's not going to be a top six forward long term, but there is a real value in having players that can spot duty there, give you some tenacity, give you energy, score a little bit for you. And I think Hoaglander's done enough where you can look at it and make a reasonable case to keep him and, and talk about him being a solid piece in the middle six for you long term. But ultimately it comes down to in a couple of years when you have to pay him and he scores 15, 16 goals, like how much are you willing to pay? What is he looking for? And that's where it gets a little bit kind of dicey if he's not a top six forward overall with the overall fit on it. 
So the question the team's going to have to ask itself is, are we happy having this guy this year and next year, and perhaps see if we can hold on to him as being being bottom six depth, or a guy we can sell high on to address a need? And that's going to be really fascinating to see as the as the season goes on here until the trade deadline. Yannick makes a good point. You still need to have those guys in the bottom of your lineup. So getting rid of him to me is not as simple as. And I've you know I've criticized his game, and I'm always open to moving guys, but. It's not as simple as, oh, let's just trade this guy and it's fine. Like You are losing some real firepower in your bottom six. But if you can get that type of top six forward they're looking for, it might be worth it. Uh, this text, we need Kuzmenko to be the Canucks Patrick Sharp. Patrick Sharp was a pretty good hockey player. Oh, man. Patrick <laughs> Sharp was hes fast, good defensively, very smart. I could play physical when need be. I'm, Patrick Sharp was incredible. Uh, you I, could say I, he I was a think... sharp player ah very good very good i i just think patrick sharp is a was at a different level overall player wise um didn't never score 39 goals but he had a number of 30 goal season 36 goals and and he crested 70 60 points a few times but just a really good two-way player that could do a lot of things for you i was a big patrick sharp fan yeah that's a good size to him too i know and like i just wonder with kuzmenko and the way that he's like you're right, he has played better. I, I don't think this Suter, Mikheyev, Kuzmenko line has been as bad as maybe some have have made it out to be. They've had some opportunities. If they've yeah. scored a couple of goals, maybe you have a a completely different view of it. But you know, Kuzmenko a little bit snake bit. You know, we talked about his volume. He's actually, you know, he's had some games where he's put some shots together and and just hasn't been able to find find a way through. But you know, the way he's playing right now, and as we've talked about through the course of the season. You're wondering if Rick Tockett's going to be able to trust this player when you get into playoff scenarios. And I think that's it's kind of a concern because that's a guy making five and a half million bucks that you could definitely use elsewhere in the lineup if it's not going to be a player you trust to play minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I, I hope Kuzmenko gets there. It just seems like that's that's a journey that's still very much under construction, you know, and... I, I think Kuzmenko can help you this season. I don't know if he's going to be able to drive a line for you come playoff time. Like there, there's so much that he's got to have to adjust. And I just look at Kuzmenko as as good as he was last year. He's still a project. And considering how far away he's been at times this year, asking him to be this real driver in the postseason, I, don't, I might be asking too much. As long as he can play every night, give you 14, 15 minutes potentially, and pot in some goals here and there, and and be decent defensively or, or not be a liability, I think that's pretty much all you can ask for realistically, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Uh... That's what you should be asking for right now and hope uh, he finds his game even more than that. Uh, all right. When we come back, we'll hear from uh, Bruce Boudreaux, potentially. Mm. What, what, what could old Gabby be up to these days? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out next on Canuck Central.